Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome in. It is before the box score. I am not Nate Edwards. I am instead Brandon BK Kylie. We also have Aaron Dryden with me today, filling in for the man who just had another baby, Nate Edwards. Aaron, excited to do this with you today, man. Thanks so much for pinch hitting. How you doing today? I'm doing really well, man. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, obviously, congrats to Nate, you know, um, Heck yeah. with his baby boy. You know, congrats to him, and we we wish him the best and hope he can get back soon. But, um, yeah, very happy to be here. Happy to fill in. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you, and he's one of those crazy people that decided to have more children after the first one. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm certainly not there yet, but hopefully he's eventually. He's a rare breed, we'll man. It, it, it's wild, man. I Everybody that has children, you are all superheroes out there. I, I don't know how you do it between having kids and taking care of kids and then getting through your 9 to 5. It's insane, but God bless each and every one of you. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and hope you have a Happy New Year. So let's talk a little Mizzou football because it looks like we've watched the last of it for the 2020 season. I was hoping to be able to see Larry Roundtree one more time. That will not be happening because Mizzou officially had to back out of the Music City Bowl. They will not be playing Iowa. If you're listening to this, I would imagine you probably knew that news already. What you might not know, though, because of how this has been distorted by certain people, is why they're not playing in this game. It is not because the kids were allowed to be sent home for Christmas. And also, if I may editorialize for a moment... That shouldn't matter in general. Like, of course they were going to go home to be with their families for Christmas. Let's not make this something that it doesn't have to be. But I digress. So Mizzou is not missing this game because their roster fell under 53 players. That is that is not accurate. They are not deciding not to play because they didn't want to be in a bowl game. That is also not accurate. Like I said, it is not because they sent kids home for Christmas. Most of these cases, it appears, stemmed from around the Mississippi State game. All of these things that are out there right now, just not true. Drinkwitz wanted to play this game. He's talked all year about how important the bowl games are to him. Um, it's, it's something that potentially could hurt them financially to not play. Like there was, there was no reason to do this other than the fact that 2020 sucks. They're playing through a pandemic right now. The entire season was a minor miracle that they were able to get through it. And ultimately at the very end of the year, as cases are spiking everywhere, it, it eventually caught up with Mizzou. So that's kind of my take on this, Aaron. What was... What was your takeaway from Mizzou officially not going to be able to play in the Music City Bowl? Uh, initially, I was really disappointed. Um, I was one of the people who was firmly in the camp of, I, I would love for us to play this bowl game. Um, I understand that we were missing a lot of different guys, but at the same time, I, I really do think that those kind of game reps are super valuable. Um, and, and for us to kind of just lose out on those, it kind of sucks a little bit. But at the same time, um, this is not the end of the world. You know, um, this this team has had a great year and, and it's been an awesome uh, season as far as even getting through it. But just the moments we've received. Um, so, yeah, as much as I was disappointed that we didn't get to see the kind of conclusion of it, um, I felt like we saw what we needed to see and that the season was a success no matter what at this point. So um, obviously the money and all the financial aspects that you were, you were talking about are important, but um, 
hey, we're under 2021, man. It's a, <laughs> it's it, it's time to start thinking about bigger picture, and I'm sure we'll get into kind of some of the social media reaction. But at the same time, I, I don't give a damn. Um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to 2021. Yeah, and I. I don't want to get too much into the social media reaction just because I, I think sometimes we can we can overblow that stuff and a lot of it was Iowa fans so we're just mad that they don't get to see their play their team play again and I I do get that because like you yeah it, it sucks right like I would love to be able to watch Mizzou play another game I would love to be able to see what it, let's say Elijah Young potentially got some more opportunities in this I I want to see what that looks like because that's going to be a really important factor for what Mizzou looks like in 2021 as you said. I want to see what the linebackers look like without Nick Bolton being out there because that's another huge story going into next season and being able to see more reps of what those guys look like next to each other can help inform what they need to do in this offseason. This would have been potentially really helpful for Eli Drinkwitz, this coaching staff. It could have been really good for them, but it's not going to be where they are, unfortunately, and that sucks. I wanted them to play the game. I was excited about the matchup. But it is what it is. This is to what 2020 football is. If you're looking for a positive news story, though, we did get one of those earlier this week. We've actually had a few with some of the seniors officially announcing that they are going to be returning next year. We already know Larry Roundtree, Joshua Bledsoe, Tyree Gillespie going to be gone. Those three guys have declared for the draft. They are all going to the Senior Bowl. Um, they will not be back next year. But this week we did get news from Kiki Chisholm, that's the big one, and Grant McKinnis that yes. both of them will be returning for next season. Let's uh, McKinnis is a great great news as well because he was very good for Mizzou this year. But Chisholm, of course, is the headliner here. Aaron, when you saw this news, what was your initial reaction? What'd you make of a guy that really came on late in the season announcing that he's going to be back for the 2021 season? Um, excitement, you know, just, uh, overall general excitement. Um, I think Kiki struggled a little bit in the first part of the year, kind of adjusting to, um, the SEC speed and the physicality of it all. And not to mention that, but also grasping a new offense and doing most of this stuff over zoom calls. I have to imagine wasn't very conducive to, um, you know, uh, ascertaining the system, but at the same time, um, Kiki coming back, I think, is huge for this team and, and probably explains why they didn't recruit wide receivers that, as heavily um, in this past cycle. Um, next year, going forward for him, this is exactly what he needs If he, from a personal standpoint if he wants to make that jump to the next level. He was going to need another season, and, and this is a perfect opportunity for not just him, but for the Mizzou team and the offense to kind of establish some continuity um, with him and Bazelak or, or possibly Macon, whoever, but just getting him more snaps and hopefully getting more of that second half Kiki Chisholm um, is huge, huge for him and huge for, for the so program. I'm with you. I was pretty critical of Kiki Chisholm the first four weeks of the year, and I, I think it was warranted. Yeah. Um, he had four receptions for 64 yards in the first four games of the season. That just, I mean, given the – Given the praise that we heard about him all preseason, I expected that we were going to see a guy that came in and like just looked amazing, right? I thought he was going to have to do yeah. kind of a cross-sport comparison. I thought he was going to have the kind of production, the kind of impact that we saw from Cassius Robertson 
uh, on the Mizzou basketball team a few years ago when he was a grad okay. transfer. <laughs> I thought you're going to see something like that, right? Obviously, it's different because of different sports, but that kind of production. And then, honestly, we kind of did. Like, the last six weeks of the season, he really caught fire. 30 receptions, 395 yards, a touchdown. He was, over the last six weeks of the season, seventh in the SEC and receiving yards. 63% of his catches went for a first down. The only SEC receiver with a higher rate was... Kyle Pitts, and that's among guys that had at least 50 targets this year. I mean, he was really productive, and he played a role that as you look up and down Missouri's roster right now, especially at the wide receiver position, they don't really have any other guys that profile similarly to him with that big frame Mm -hmm. that can kind of play up on the line of scrimmage, the X receiver position where he's going to have to fight off man coverage more often. I mean, if you, you look at the other options there, they're they're just pretty few and far between. I think Towski Dove could be that eventually, but I don't think he's there yet. He kind of profiles as a similar kind of a guy, but he's really, Kiki Chisholm is the only guy right now that I would feel comfortable playing that role. He did it well towards the end of the season, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he can do next year, having a full offseason with Eli Drinkwitz, getting in this strength and conditioning program. Hopefully, fingers crossed, they're able to have as normal of an offseason as possible. And if they can get him even more involved in the offense next year, man, this, I mean, the sky, it's a cliche, but the sky really is the limit. He could be a guy that every game catches five, six balls, goes for 60, 70 yards, and is kind of the engine that makes this passing game go next year. Yeah. Um, And I think I'd like to see him kind of get to that level to where we can rely on him in the red zone. Also, too, that big frame kind of boxing out big bodies um, in a small space. I think he would profile really well at that. But it, just in general, I'm really I'm really happy for him because it seems like he's excited. Um, seems like he enjoys Mizzou. Seems like he enjoys the culture and, and wants to, as as he said on Twitter, he wants to run it back. And, and when, when I see a guy who spent now four years um, in the college – system and and having the uh, success that he did in the late part of the season, I have to believe that that played a factor in him making that decision and just realizing, you know, this season wasn't what um, everything that I wanted to be. And uh, there are probably some reasons for that. So let me try to come back. Let me try to run it back and see what I can do on, with a full off season. So I'm just, I'm happy for him. Um, definitely happy for, um, Connor Bazalek and and the rest of the program, um, and I agree with you. Yeah, the sky's the limit for this guy. Um, it was huge, man. This this was this was the number one of all the seniors that could potentially return next year. This was the one that I felt like was the biggest need because I I didn't feel mm-hmm. great about the receiver position if he left because they you mentioned this earlier they don't really have a ton of guys coming in next year at that spot that profile immediately as big-time contributors. I mean, they, they got the kid out of East St. Louis, love it, and he looks like he could be a real player for them. I, I think he's probably going to get playing time immediately at punt return, but he's not the same type of receiver as Ke- – Thank God. <laughs> he's not the same type of receiver, though, as Chisholm. He's more of kind of a Jalen Knox type who probably is going to play mm-hmm. in the slot, is basically a running back at receiver – 
and they didn't have another guy like Chisholm. So I, I'm glad I mentioned Knox there because that is one thing that I would like to see from them next year. I, I want to see them be able to utilize both Chisholm and Knox consistently. I know some of this is just there's only so many targets to go around, but if you look at when Knox had his production, it was those four weeks at the beginning of the year when Chisholm didn't. He had 20 catches the first four weeks Knox did. That was when Chisholm had four. And then the last six weeks of the season, when Chisholm had 31 catches, Knox had 12. So Knox was really involved early on and then basically disappeared the last six weeks of the season when Chisholm really started to get things going. I'm not saying it needs to be like one for one. I think Chisholm's probably the guy that you're going to run more of your offense through just because they play very different positions. But I would like to see it be a little closer where both of them are able to get more involved more consistently um, going into next year. Because I think they're pretty clearly, at least in my opinion, your top two wide receivers going into 2021. Definitely. Um, I I would probably put Dove in that category as well. Um, He's not the same kind of receiver as Chisholm. I don't think he's as much of a downfield threat as Chisholm is, but I do think he's a solid possession receiver. Um, and I think that that's kind of what this offense needs. So I'd put him in that category too, but I, I think that the utilizing all of your weapons kind of in an equal manner, I think it's, that was a really good stat that you just brought in because I, I noticed that as well throughout the season. It seems like it's always one or the other guy. It's never, um, it's never usually Roundtree and Beatty. It's never, Knox and uh, Chisholm. It's always one or the other. So kind of getting everybody involved um, on a week-to-week basis, that that would be uh, something that I agree with. I think that that's what we need to see moving forward. And you would think, I mean, given the way that Drink utilizes his offense, and you've written about this kind of extensively in the past, like he's using all of these orbit motions. He's using Jalen Knox on these fly sweeps. And if you do that enough and you actually give the ball to Knox and then the next one, you give the action and then you're able to pull it. And it's basically an RPO where you're hitting Mm -hmm. Chisholm on a slant or a fade or whatever it may be that you're tagging on there. I mean, that, that makes things very difficult for the defense to be able to, react quickly and when you've got the defense a little bit on their heels that's when the offense looked at its best at times this year so hopefully they're able to get that even more involved going into next season let's stick with the receivers because I've been going through and kind of given my end of year report cards right you know we all we always got to do these hokey things of grading the season right we, we gotta <laughs> we gotta be able to go through position by position and tell you exactly how everybody did you can read all of my grades over at rockmnation.com. That, that's where you can kind of get the extensive reads. But I did want to get through a few of these positions here because I think some of them are, are pretty interesting as we kind of look back on where the season started with these positions and where it ended. Let's start with the receivers. I gave them a B- minus for the season. I It wasn't great. It wasn't a great year for this group. It was very uneven. Uh, Damon Hazleton was in and out of the doghouse. Towski Dove really emerged, like you said, as probably that third guy going into next year. Jalen Knox was awesome to start the year and then faded as the season went on. It was the opposite for Kiki Chisholm. It just felt like there was never a point in the season where they had multiple guys 
that were really performing at a high level at the same time. So I think it was a success, especially given expectations going into the year and how much uncertainty there was surrounding the position. So I gave them a B minus, but I, I don't think that I could go any higher than that just because of how uneven the performance was throughout the year. What would you give Mizzou's receivers this year, Aaron? Um, I think, um, I think you're a generous grader. Um, I, I would have probably gone more in the C plus range. Okay. Um, that's me being a little bit, uh, tough on them, but I, I really did have higher expectations for the Hazleton Chisholm combo going into this year. And, and as they kind of got through the season, they did show some other things and, and kind of live up to that a little bit, but it just, you know, kind of was, not all the way there. Um, so that that was a little disappointing, but I would say uh, Towski Dove taking another step in um, becoming that third guy, like he said, is, yeah, that that was uh, in, encouraging. Barrett Bannister being a, a chain mover, that's encouraging, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, there, was a, there, were, there were enough glimpses to see from this position group to believe that um, they did some really nice things at certain times, and there were other times where they weren't, but it, and it was very uneven. But um, altogether, I mean, I think C-plus is probably where I would land, something like that. What do you Not think happened with Hazleton? Because I think, I think he's the guy that probably – if he was the player that I thought he was going to be coming into the year, because I – I mean, you watched him. I, I don't know how much you watched of what he did at Virginia Tech, but I went back yeah. over the offseason and kind of watched some of that – there were flashes this year at Mizzou of the player that he was at Virginia Tech, but I didn't see as much of the go up and get it. I didn't see, I right. mean, the the fades in the red zone were really his calling card at Vautech. They really never got that going this year at Mizzou. What do you think happened with him? What what went wrong in that whole experience? Uh, that's that's hard to tell. Um, I'm not exactly sure. If I if I had to take a guess, it would probably be something along the lines of playing time or um, stuff like that. Uh, maybe just maybe he didn't feel like he was being um, emphasized in the offense as much. Um, but all things considered, um, yeah, he was just a little bit disappointing in certain aspects. And, and to your point, they didn't really use him the same way that they did at Virginia Tech. And maybe um, he just had a different vision for how he was going to be utilized in this offense. Um, I think that Drink has a tendency um, in all of his film that you can see, even back to North Carolina State, he likes to use wide receivers kind of um, in, in a methodical way, if you will. Um, there, there are definitely deep shots, but he definitely loves – uh, that eight to twelve yard range, where he he loves staying in in that kind of a a range. So I don't know if Hazelton was that was really his thing. I'm not exactly sure. The timing um, routes. Yeah, I think <laughs> and I think a lot of that those timing routes and stuff like that. It takes time to you know make, get a chemistry with your quarterback. So I think um, starting with Robinson probably for most of camp and then making a change probably didn't help either, but. You know, these guys are – you got to be professional about it at a certain point, and I think he was. Uh, he was demoted to third string, and it could have been a lot worse. We didn't really hear anything from him. So um, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just don't think it really worked out the way he probably expected. Yeah, I, I actually think he deserves a ton of credit for the way that he handled it, like you said. I mean, yeah. he 
being demoted as a as a grad transfer to third string and at times like really not seeing the field at certain points in games that, that could have been really difficult on him and he ended up making quite a few plays down the stretch that were really significant in terms of like what they meant for Mizzou. He it's not like his numbers were huge, but in the middle of those games, especially against Arkansas, I mean, some of those that last possession, he without him, I'm not sure they win that game. The other thing is, I mean, if you look at the numbers, his last year at Vautech, so 2019 compared to this year at Mizzou. The yards per catch were down, and that's kind of to your point of just the difference in the offense. The receptions were basically the same. It was 31 last year, 30 this year. The big difference is just the utilization in the red zone. Because last year at Virginia Tech, he had eight touchdowns. This year at Mizzou, he had one on the entire season, and it came against Vanderbilt, a team that doesn't even really count. (laughs) So it was just weird in terms of the usage in the red zone, and I think that is as much to do with how drink game plan for the red zone as anything else like it just it seemed like they got inside of the 10 and it was i guess maybe fairly yeah it was it was round tree round tree round tree punch it in and he's good at it so it's hard to blame Drinkwitz for going that route but it was just that i think that had a lot to do with the the way that he was used instead of the way that he was used previously at vatek yeah i would agree with that i think the red zone um usage uh, in general, we kind of talked about it throughout the season with Basilek, and and he wasn't getting uh, the passing touchdowns that we really expected. And, and in combination with that, there are not as many receiving touchdowns um, as expected. So I'm looking at it right now. Larry Roundtree had 14 touchdowns on the year. Like that's 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 a lot, and a lot yeah. of those came in in close range. You know, so it doesn't really surprise me that he didn't have the red zone usage. Because um, we just didn't throw it, throw it down there very often. We were able to run it pretty effectively. So unfortunate for him that um, it looks like this is going to be his last year. I haven't heard anything about him um, using that that uh, extra year, but um, I appreciate him for his contributions. And we don't win, like you said, we don't win Arkansas without him. So he definitely had a hand in this season and, and made an impact um, despite the situation and the circumstances. So good for him. So I'm looking at um, play a, a website called SEC StatCat, uh, which Ooh, is I love them. They have some really good statistics on there. Yeah, um, you're able to basically go by like situation, down and distance, those sorts of things. So Larry Roundtree this season had 21 carries in goal to go situations for Mizzou. 21 carries on the season, and that resulted in 12 of his 14 rushing touchdowns. So basically, when Mizzou got in close, they were giving it to Roundtree and hoping that he was able to score. And more often than not, I mean, of the 21 carries, 12 of them ended up in the end zone. So he was successful. He had a 71% success rate in the uh, in goal-to-go situations. He was really good at it, so they did it because it continued to work. But that that's a lot of why um, you see those low numbers. And then for what it's worth, Tyler Beatty and Connor Baselek both had – a rushing touchdown from inside of the goal-to-go situations as well. So that's 14 ru- rushing touchdowns on goal-to-go situations. When you're you're utilizing people that way, that's going to end up with fewer of those touchdowns that we're talking about. Maybe that changes next year. Maybe not. Maybe Elijah Young's awesome, and hopefully that ends up being the case. They don't have to do anything. But that's part of why you see those ru- uh, those passing touchdowns so low. Right. Yeah. So let's go over to the offensive line. 
because okay. this was, for me, maybe my biggest concern coming into the season. I was terrified of this unit yeah. because you, you lose two guys that end up this year going to the NFL, and they both, I think, gotten a little bit of playing time in the NFL. Yeah, both got some snaps. And Mizzou finished the year with the 15th lowest sack rate in the country allowed. <laughs> like, hey. The only quarterbacks in the SEC with a lower sack rate than Bazelak. He was sacked on 3% of his dropbacks, which is awesome, were Kellen Mond, Mac Jones, and Stetson Bennett, who was just getting rid of the ball as quickly as he could because he wanted nothing to do with <laughs> being back there. So throw him to the side. Guys that were consistent starters. Kellen Mond, Mac Jones were the only guys in the SEC with lower sack rates than Bazelak. I, I was stunned by that. Now, it wasn't great. It wasn't perfect. The running uh, run blocking certainly could have been a little bit better throughout the season in terms of like some of the advanced stats and that. They, they didn't rate particularly well at all. So as a result, I went with a B- minus here, but I could understand giving them higher, especially because of the preseason expectations. Yeah, I think that there was a little bit of uneasiness, especially in the first game of the year where breaking in a brand new left tackle and um, a starter at guard who we really haven't seen. And then also there was Mike Maietti, who we had really never seen play before. So um, we, there was a little bit of concern, but I would probably agree with your B minus. Um, they, I felt like this group kind of got better as the season went on in certain aspects. Um, and I think they got a little bit of confidence once guys were in the right spots, once guys were healthy Um and in the right places. So when Missouri was missing Larry Borum, you could you could obviously tell a difference in that right side and how it was moving, and, and I think that was kind of indicative on, of how the offense played. But overall, I would say that this group, um, you know, for all of the all of the things that we've said about them over the year, you know. They did the best the best possible job that they could with the amount of musical chairs and COVID and transferring and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I really do think that the COVID uh, situation has really affected a lot of teams and a lot of teams differently, but especially the ones with new staffs. And, and when you have you're installing a new system on offense, especially the offensive line, you need time to really get um, get a groove with the, with the guys on the line. And it's, it's really hard to, when you're doing this stuff by zoom and you're making these calls, um, basically, but, but the center's making these calls over zoom. It's, it's really difficult. So, um, I think B minus is probably perfect for, for them. And I'm excited for this group going forward. I think a lot of young guys got snaps who we didn't really expect. And there were some bumps in the road, but at the same time they got those snaps. So going forward, um, should be good in contention for playing time. I don't know what Marcus Johnson is making in terms of his salary, but whatever <laughs> it is, I hope he gets a sizable increase in salary this oh, offseason because yeah. he did a tremendous job with this group. I mean, I, I'm just trying to imagine, especially early in the year when they were dealing with so many injuries and COVID situations and all of that. I mean, he had a left tackle going into the season in Zeke Powell, who, I, I mean – he joined the team in like July. Oh, he no. he was like at the very end of the summer, suddenly a part of the roster, and then he got playing time against Alabama to get, kick things off. Yeah, and he did okay. Was, yeah, he he was pretty pretty good. You know, this was a guy who 
had, didn't even start at Georgia Southern, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And to throw him in in his first game against Alabama, did a pretty solid job. And I think Powell in particular was one who I could see throughout the course of the year um, really start to gain confidence. I think that was some of the biggest thing. I think when you move to a new level um, from – uh, South Alabama to a Mizzou to an SEC level. I think there a big amount of it is confidence and making it known that you do belong on the field. And I think he absolutely does. And he showed it um, originally, but but as the season got went on, you could really tell a difference in how he was playing. And, and he kind of plays with a nastiness that um, that was really needed at times. Um, and I was it- impressed with him. He'll be back next year. You'll have Delgado and Griffin back next year. You've got Case Cook back. We'll see on Mayetti. I've got my fingers crossed there. Yeah. The one position that you obviously have to replace now, and it's unfortunate because I didn't think that – I was hopeful that this wouldn't be the case. But, I mean, good for the kid. Uh, Larry Borum is going to be going to the NFL draft. He deserves it. He was awesome this year. Like you yeah. said, you could absolutely tell when he was not out there because I remember – don't remember which game this was maybe you do but I remember vividly a specific run from Larry Roundtree it was off of right tackle and Larry Borum just crashed it was towards the end of the season just crashed Mm -hmm. that right end completely into the guard and just there was no edge like the defense had no edge to it whatsoever because Borum was just a monster out there he was really good in pass coverage I mean he was he was awesome all year he was if not for Larry Roundtree, he probably was their best offensive player this season. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And kind of a side note, I think he's kind of one of the better. We've had a lot of guys uh, from Mizzou go on to the next level, especially at offensive line. I think he might be one of the better ones we've seen in a while. I'm I'm really impressed with him in pass protection. And I'm Where do you also think really. He plays? You think he stays at tackle or do you think he kicks inside? I think he is a tackle. I think he's big enough. And I, and what I was getting to is I, I think he plays really quick. I think he has really nice feet, a good quickness with them. And I think that's going to allow him to stay at tackle. And for a guy his size, he's he's a big boy, man. He's every <laughs> yeah. bit of 330, 340. So for him to be able to move his feet at that size and, and be able to pull and, and knock knock people down on his pulls is, you know, those were the, some of the things that really impressed me about him. And it doesn't surprise me that he declared early. And I could kind of see that, especially when, um, when you start to see the pro football focus grades come in, that kind of stuff, and just see how he's almost perfect every single week. Um, always the highest graded lineman on the staff. So that didn't surprise me. He's a very good player. And I'm, I'm really excited uh, to hear his name get called. Yeah, I'm going to be fascinated to see where he goes because if he is able to stick outside, I mean, I I think immediately of a team like the Tennessee Titans who just run mm-hmm. the hell out of the football and they they love the play action as well and I think he could have a ton of success in a place like that where he's just he's a road grader that is asked to do that a ton, but like you said, he's he's not a liability in pass pro. It's not like he's an no. issue there. Um, and if he's able to go to a place like that, I, th- I think he could be really successful. I just, I have no idea where he's going to go because for much of the season, I, I wasn't even thinking about it, honestly. It yeah. makes, like you said, it makes sense that he's leaving. I just, it, it wasn't something that was top of mind for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think anybody came into the season expecting 
him to leave. I thought of him as a very solid lineman, um, a guy who was going to be one of the anchors of our line. But at the same time, I didn't expect him to declare early for the draft. Yeah. Um, do you think? Do you think Luke Griffin is going to be a starter for them next year? Because I thought he looked he? really yeah. good. He looked really good and uh, showed some different stuff and gave them some good time when Delgado missed time and they were um, just shuffling. It felt like a lot at those guard spots. So yeah, I, I would I would not be surprised to see him on that opening um, depth chart or anything like that. He he provided some good minutes. I'll be interested to see what they do with that because I, if I'm not mistaken, Case Cook previously played center at one point, right? Am I am I right? Yeah, on that? In, I, in high I school? want to say that was his freshman or sophomore year. I think okay. he was even at center. I wonder if they give any consideration if Maietti's not back. Because if Maietti's back, this is this is easy. You just you have the competition there between Cook, Griffin, and Delgado, and made the best man win those two spots. But if he's not back, I wonder if they decide, you know what, Griffin and Delgado are our two best guards, and then we're going to try Case Cook at center and see what that looks like. Because that's, that, that's a group that could be pretty good inside. Oh, yeah. I think that um, anywhere where I can get Case Cook, especially if he plays at center, um, if my Eddie ends up leaving, I think Case Cook at center would be a really good idea because I think he's probably um, – going to be the most experienced lineman, but also probably the smartest one and probably more apt to make calls at the line of scrimmage. So, so um, yeah, if, if we were going to have somebody kick in, it would definitely be him. Well, let's go over to the defensive line side um, because I found this group to be really interesting when I went back to grade them because I think I, I broke it up between tackles and ends. I gave the defensive tackles a C- on the season, and a lot of that, that, that position was decimated by injuries yeah. and COVID, and it, it it's almost hard to be able to fairly grade that group. And then it's almost kind of the same with defensive ends, because if I was grading Trajan Jeffcoat, like, that's an A+. Plus. He was amazing. Right. If I'm grading the unit as a whole, I ended up giving it a C+, plus because of how great Jeffcoat was. He was tied for second in the SEC, six sacks on the season. But after him, I mean, it was nothing. Isaiah McGuire, three sacks. He gave you a little bit of reason to be optimistic about what he can be moving forward. Trey Williams, two, before he decided to opt out. Chris Turner added pressures but did not have a sack on the season. I mean, it was it was really barren after Trajan Jeffcoat at the position this year. I go C-plus there. I could understand going higher just because you skew more towards Trajan Jeffcoat, but what would you give the defensive ends this year? Um, the defensive ends, I would probably put a B minus, C plus, somewhere in there. 78, between a 78 and an 80. Um, I was really impressed with Jeff Coat. I think everybody on the site knows I am the leader of the Trajan Jeff Coat fan club. So, As you should have, be. He was awesome. Yeah, if you have any applications, be sure to <laughs> send them on in. Where can uh, they send them? What's your Twitter account? <laughs> At iAirDry, come find me, um, and I will definitely approve or deny because, man, I can't understate enough how impressed I was with him throughout the course of this year. It seemed like every every week he was adding a little bit of something to his game. It felt like he was getting more comfortable as the weeks went on, and he produced. And, and to see that from a guy who sat out all of last year um, is impressive. And I'm – thinking about doing a deeper dive kind of in, into him but in general just 
you know, this is a guy who was pretty lightly recruited and 200 pounds out of high school and couldn't, he's from Columbia, South Carolina and couldn't get an offer from the Gamecocks. So just to see this guy and how he's grown and matured over the past few years and to see him kind of uh, explode and have a season like this was awesome to see. Um, As far as the other guys for the ends, you know, Trey Williams, when he was playing, I thought him and Jeff Coat together, they had some moments where they both were providing pressure and feeding off of each other. But after those two, it was definitely a deeper drop. And, and like you said, the whole D-line had had a bunch of injuries throughout the course of the year. And there were guys playing inside who usually play out, and there were guys who playing outside usually playing in. It just depended on, on what the team needed. So I, I'm not going to hold that against everybody too much, but um, I did think that Williams and Jeffcoat, the combination of the two, when they were on the field together, I thought they were really, really good. And, and Jeffcoat provided uh, that pressure off the edge to allow Williams to eat a little bit more often. So I'm going to be really interested to minus. see what they do at DN next year because they've got some kids coming in from Juco that potentially could help. Uh, Robledo is one of those guys that immediately comes to mind. I I just don't know what he's going to be. You, you never know with Juco kids what the competition is and how ready they're going to be right away to contribute. But hopefully he's good to go. And if he is, that's that's going to be helpful. But at the very least, we called it the the hope guy all year. Trajan Jeffcoat is, is the guy. Like, capital T, capital G. Yeah. I think he's got NFL in his future. And I think a pretty bright future in the league because he's got everything teams are looking for. He's got burst. He's got size, he's got speed, he's got, like, he closes on quarterbacks. He's got it all, man. He's got move, pass mm-hmm. rush moves. He seems to have a plan whenever he's attacking the quarterback. He's a exactly, really, really yeah. good player and a guy that, moving forward, I, I don't know how early he'll leave for the draft if he decides to, but technically, going into next year, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore again. Like, if he wanted to... it. Hopefully this doesn't be the, end up being the case and he can leave after next season if he wants to. But if he wanted to, he could technically stay for the next three years and play football at Mizzou because of these rules that they're putting in this year. So that's that's pretty crazy to think about. That would be my dream come true. I'm sure he would throw in a 15-sack season somewhere in there if he decided to stay till he was, what, 25? Um, yeah, just – I'm very, I'm very interested in in the Jeff quote story arc. Um, to take off a year of football is not easy. I've done it before. Um, I took a year off of football in between my sophomore and junior season of high school, and at the, even at the high school level, you're you're just so rusty. So I can't imagine what it's like taking a year off and then going back into an SEC level environment. And then immediately, just immediately being the best one at your position. It's not. And not just on Mizzou's team, like in Um, the conference, one of the best at the position. Yeah, yeah. Like in a conference that is known for its defensive linemen, you were among the best after not playing for a year. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. I mean, you don't see that very often, and you don't see that at Missouri. No, absolutely. Especially for a three-star kid that came in with, excitement but it wasn't like you said i mean if you look back at his recruitment it wasn't like he was some 
unbelievably sought after kid. He was a guy that if you just go back to his rivals page now, it shows you his top schools and his options were on that list. Mizzou, App State, Colorado State, East Carolina, and Georgia State. That doesn't scream future all-SEC type of a player, and that's exactly what he was this year. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good absolutely deserved all, all of the success that's coming his way. I did want to ask you as we kind of finish up on the defensive line because I was fascinated by Darius Robinson this year. He he looks like a superhero. Like when when you just look at him on the field, it's like this guy looks different than everybody else that is out there. He he looks like the Hulk or something. I mean, it's it's wild the way that he's built. What do you think he can be for this team? Because I there were times when he looked like one of the best players on the field, and then he kind of disappeared for, like, the next three quarters. I don't really know what to make of him. I don't know how great he is as a player, but I'm super fascinated by him because of his size and length and speed. Like, he, he's a really intriguing player to me, even though I don't really know what he is. I think he profiles more of, like, uh, that three-tech kind of a role. Um, I think that... You are exactly right. He did show a lot over the course of this year as far as um, just explosive plays at times. You know, he he has the size. He has a, the speed, that those kind of physical, you know, God-given traits. Now he just has to put it together with some technique and consistency. Um, Robinson, I, he, he was one of my favorite players to watch over the year because he kind of reminded me of – Terry Beckner Jr. in the way that he was just so violent with his hands. A lot of uh, just very physical moves with his hands and placement and those sort of things. So I was really encouraged with what I saw. And and he looked like an SEC lineman, you know. And I feel like that's been a, a thing that I've seen for so long is that, you know, we are in the SEC and, and we recruit at the level that we recruit at, whatever that may be. But none of our guys even look like they're in the SEC sometimes. And this guy, uh, Darius Robinson, definitely does. He looks like he could. He play looks like he's thirty-five. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean he's he's just a big big dude, and and to combine that with his speed, um, he's just different. He looks built different, and I, I'm really excited about him and. I talked about it last week in in my piece at Rock M, and it was kind of just like what the guys that they're bringing back with Jeff Coat and, and Robinson and McGuire and these guys who've kind of now played a little bit, taken some lumps, um, they're going to get a chance to come together as a group finally and, and do something special. I, th- I really do think that uh, the defensive line is in a spot that it hasn't been in the past few years, and we've kind of – Looked at that as a worry, worrisome spot at the beginning of the year, at least this year, definitely. Um, was worried about the pressure off the edge. And with Jeff Coat, he's kind of helped solve some of those problems. So hopefully him, in combination with the guys that they're bringing back, in combination with the guys that they're bringing in in that freshman class, um, hopefully they can do something special and, and kind of elevate the level of what we expect from our defense. Something to keep in mind as Mizzou fans kind of look towards that class that you're talking about. And they've got a lot of good defensive linemen in this class. It's it's a really good class, or at least potentially a really Mm -hmm. good class. 
Darius Robinson, when he committed to Mizzou, class of 2019, he was listed as a strong side defensive end in that class out of the Detroit area. He was 6'5 and 255 pounds, according to his rival's profile. Coming into this season on Mizzou's website, he was listed at 6'6, 295. That's like 18 months later, he's listed as having gained 40 pounds. And when I say this is not like the typical quarantine 40, <laughs> it's like yeah, he, this is he good put weight. on like, I don't know if it's 40 pounds of muscle, but 40 pounds of strength uh, to his mass. So think about, keep that in mind as you're kind of looking at some of these guys that we're watching in their high school film. They're, they're going to look different. They're going to be different players, even as soon as in the 2022 season. So not next year, but the year after that, they're, they're going to look a lot different. They're going to be able to potentially get on the field maybe earlier than you expect if they're able to be on that Darius Robinson type of a plan. All right, let's go over to cornerbacks. This is the last position that we'll break down this way. I gave the cornerbacks from Mizzou this year a B-. minus. I think that seems right to me. Um, Ennis Rakestraw was pretty good. He had his ups and downs, but as a true freshman, you absolutely expect all of those. And... On the whole, I thought he was pretty darn good for Mizzou. I thought Jarvis Ware was awesome whenever he was healthy this season. Uh, Birdian started out the year, I thought, a little rough. Uh, but you're going up against Alabama and Tennessee, and you've got some unbelievable players that play on those teams. So that's not to be a surprise. I thought he was a lot better down the stretch. Uh, J.C. Carley's yeah. had some moments down the stretch as well. Overall, I thought it was it was solid. Given how, how young this group was, I thought they did okay, and I'm just going to give them a pass more or less for the Mississippi State game. That's a bunch of freshmen that were out there. I'm not too worried about it. So I went with a B-minus overall. I think that that's pretty spot on as well. Um, there were times this year where I was super frustrated with this group. Um, it's a group of young guys, and, and that's what I had to keep telling myself. You know, I felt like Ennis Rakestraw – we, he came into this season with all of this hype, and and I think there were times where he got humbled a little bit. I think mm-hmm. that um, that's what happens when you start guarding guys like Jalen Waddell or Kadarius Toney or any of the guys that he's seen over the course of the year. It felt like, um, you know how we do our articles, and you look in the chorus, and we type in our picture. I felt like every time I type in Ennis Rakestraw, it felt like it was – a picture of him being scored on. And I really don't think that that, that, that is indicative of how his season truly went. Um, he just got put in a lot of uh, unfortunate spots and unfortunate situations. And this is a good league. And this year, Missouri played a lot of really talented offenses. And that's what happens, you know. And I think that between him and I like I liked some of the stuff that Carlisle did and um, – Birding, you know, a lot of these guys, I felt like, especially I remember the Georgia game, I tweeted this specifically, these guys were in the right spots a lot of times, but just couldn't finish the play. Yeah. You know, um, and and that's something that as a coach or, or as a teammate, I can live with, you know, if you just get out-athleted a couple plays by some guys who are older and bigger and stronger than you, then that happens, you know, I can live with that, but... You know, these guys came in, they battled, and they competed, and that's that's all I can ask. This is this is a practice season, and they took some lumps, but they gained some experience, and they'll be better for it. I hear you. 
The one thing that I do want to see added to this group, though, is ball production. And what I mean by that is, please, can we get some takeaways? Interceptions, please, please, please. The last Mizzou corner with three interceptions in a single season was DeMarcus AC in 2018. Before that, you have to go all the way back to Arion Penton in 2016. Uh, yeah, that was the next guy. I like that's that's five years where you basically have two guys that had any sort of ball production on the outside. And Arion Penton was a great player, and Demarcus AC was vastly underrated for what he did at Mizzou, in my opinion. But you've got to have more than that. You can't have like this year. Sean Robinson was tied for the lead on the team with one interception. He played safety for one game. <laughs> that, one half. That's that's crazy, and that's a credit to him for being able to make the transition and to play as well as he did, like you said, in that half. But he shouldn't be tied for the lead on the team. It, it's got to be better than that going into next season, and that's that for me would be the number one thing that I want to see. If you're going to get beat, I can live with it. You, Like you said, most of them were in position most of the time. Got to make that play, though. Got to finish some of those plays because they had a ton of pass breakups this year. Come down with that ball. Give the ball back to your offense. Those are game-breaking plays. And for as much as these coaches preach takeaways, they just weren't very good at it this year. So that's that's something they've got to get better at going into next season. Definitely. And they're young. They should get better. Yeah, yeah. And I think that all things considered, if we take the totality of it, um, I think most people would be satisfied. You know, somewhat satisfied with what those guys are giving with you, giving to you. I'm sorry, but definitely, like you said, we have to finish plays. Um, Got to get hands on the ball. Have to turn your head around um, and have to play more disciplined um, overall. And I think that goes for every position group on the team. Every year, you want to become a little bit better, a little bit more disciplined. But um, specifically with this group, they got picked on a little bit, had some turnovers, uh, or not turnovers, but flags to extend drives and that kind of stuff. Um, will come back to bite you. So hopefully they're no, they're not making those habits or anything like that. And next year we'll see a little bit of a enhanced version of those. So guys. if you missed any of my grades, like I said, you can check those out, rockamnation.com. They're all posted now. I've got the offense, the defense, and I put together the coaching staff as well. Drinkwitz, um, Ryan Walters, and Eric Link. I was able to put together some grades for all three of those guys. You can check that out. RockMNation.com is where you find it. That's kind of the re- recap of the season. Let's project forward real quick because, like we said, Mizzou season's over. Start to take a look at the offseason for a moment and kind of preview what is ahead because if you asked me two weeks ago, I probably would have told you the number one thing that Mizzou needs to do this offseason in terms of bringing in somebody else from the open market that can come in right away and play for them. I probably would have said they got to get a receiver because at that point in time, I wasn't sure that Kiki Chisholm was going to be back. I no longer think that's the case. I'm okay with Chisholm, Knox, Dove, and then you've got your guys like Bear Bannister that are going to kind of filter through. Hopefully, J.J. Hester is a guy that can maybe get into the mix next year. You've You've got some bodies that I think can fill in nicely there. I'm not super worried about the offensive line, especially if they're able to get my Eddie back. I think if I was to say, where where is the position that Drink needs to upgrade this offseason if he can find anybody? I'm looking at linebacker because mm-hmm. I remember the half that they played without having 
Nick Bolton in the game, and it was ugly, man. They just didn't have any answers at the linebacker position, and they got picked on a little bit in that one. So I'm really worried. Chad Bailey came in with the pedigree. He was a four-star player. I hope he develops. I hope I'm wrong on this, but we haven't really seen it yet. I think that's the spot that I would target if I was Eli Drinkwitz. Where would you go? If you had one spot that you could you could say that they can upgrade here by grabbing somebody from the transfer JUCO market, where would you target? Um, my first instinct would probably be linebacker. I would agree with you. Um, if I'm not agreeing with you, though, that it would probably be wide receiver still. Um, I think this group can use as many guys on the outside as possible. Um, to try to help that offense. But to your point with the linebackers, I think you're exactly right. Um, They really did struggle without Nick Bolton. And I think that part of that is um, just he, Bolton takes so much leadership of the defense. So being, having guys thrust in those positions when they're not really expecting to, I think that um, is part of why they struggled in the time that they did. But at the same time, there's just not a lot of, production to go off of for that group um not a lot of explosion coming off of that group i like devin nicholson but i don't know if he's ready to take over the full mike linebacker spot yet like i just don't know um i like chad bailey um, but i don't know if he's ready to play period you know um i don't know i don't know if any of these guys are ready so linebacker probably would be the next spot um that if you have one One scholarship to award to a grad transfer, that would probably be it. I'm also really curious what they're going to do at safety going into next year. Because I I like what we saw with Sean Robinson. I I really do. I thought he looked really good back there, man. And knowing that he's going to have an offseason, and his body kind of fits in terms of, like, what you need from a safety in this conference. He he makes sense back there. Um, I think he's going to fit into the mix in the two deep for sure going into next year. I love Martez Manuel. I think he is... I think he's everything you could ask for and then some in a box safety in this conference. I think he's perfect for that role. Jelani Williams showed some flashes, and he, he played enough this year that I think they, they seem pretty clearly to view him as the next guy at one of those yeah. spots. But that's only three dudes, and they kind of, at, at the very minimum, played with four at that spot this year at times, filtering some guys in. And you're, you're not going to have Gillespie – you're not going to have Bledsoe, and those guys were on the field for every snap that they could this year. I don't know who's playing that other spot. Who's playing deep this year? I don't know the answer to that right now. I think it might be Tyler Jones. I I just – Stacy Brown maybe. I don't know. And so that would be one other spot that I would potentially look at is what, what they decide to do at safety because it's so important. Those roles are so critical to what they do in this defense. Absolutely. And uh, I, I would say that I think Stacy Brown's got a chance to to get some playing time. I think that earlier in the beginning of this season, we saw that he was fighting it out with Martez Manuel to um, for that starting uh, hybrid spot. But they've kept him on that second spot of the two deep, and we've seen him float in and out, um, especially when it got a little bit thin in the secondary. But I think that there's some talent in here. Um, there's some talent at that safety spot. It's just a matter of kind of giving these guys some chances to uh, prove it. Um, and we know that we'll have Manuel back, and I'm, I agree with you again that I think he's a huge building block for this defense going forward. Um, 
but there's got to be more than just manual. He can't play all three spots. Yeah, it, manual and Trajan Jeffcoat are the two guys that they're building around right now on the defense side of the ball for for next year. Those those are the two cornerstones, and then from I, I think actually you could probably go ahead and add in Jarvis Ware and in the strike straw. Mm-hmm. Um, Ware for sure, Rake straw more as like a I'm really excited about what he could be kind of a right. piece. But they've they've they're starting to find and identify guys that okay this could be something here and now it's about being able to add that depth to it and we talk so much about recruiting on this show this is why the recruiting class and being a top 25 class is so critical because now you're going to be able to start stacking some of those guys it's why when you go up it's different it's on a different level of course but when you go up against Alabama and they're like the starting right tackle is out this week it's why you don't see a massive drop off to the next guy because the guy behind <laughs> right. him was a five star that is now a sophomore and like he's he's gonna be a really good player. Mizzou's not there and they will never be there. But you want to get to the point where when you're going into the final week of the season and you're down a corner or two, it doesn't look like you're down 17 corners. You know that that's that's where Mizzou needs to get to and I think this recruiting class is at least the starting point to get to that place and I think Drink is. Is get, heading in the right direction, but it's, it's just going to take some time. It takes a little while to get through these things. Yeah, man. Need more uh, Need more chances. Need more bites at the apple. Um, that's what these classes going up in the next couple of years will give him. And, you know, it's not that he can't turn a three-star into an NFL player, but like we've said on the podcast before, if you can get a four-star, the, the chances are just better. Yep. Um, and he's moving in that direction. And this 2022 class is, uh, he's already got a few four stars and it's shaping up to be, at least in Missouri, one of the best uh, in-state classes we've ever seen. Um, just talent all the way down, a couple five stars. Um, and, and some of the blue, all the blue bloods are, are coming to see. So it's going to be important for him to get some of these key guys in the 2022 class and, and keep building uh, brick by brick. That's how you got to do it. This is our last podcast for the entire 2020 calendar year, <gasps> at least on the football side of things. Yeah. Thank God. I got to be honest, man. <laughs> Thank God. We made it. We did it. We did it. Not that 2021 means that everything's going to get better suddenly, but I'll be damned, man. Seeing that calendar flip is going to be nice. There, there's there's just something about finally being able to flip that calendar to the next year that makes me feel a little bit better about things. Um, I It was a successful season for Mizzou, so all things considered, I will take it. That is a win in my book. We needed it, given how much this year really sucked for a lot of people, so... Hopefully, mm-hmm. fingers crossed, 2021 brings a lot more health, a lot more hope, a lot more prosperity to each and every one of you. Um, we have been thrilled to be able to have you guys along for the ride this season. We've got a lot more to go. I mean, spring ball is right around the corner, as crazy as that seems. Um, we've got the spring signing period that's still coming up. There is no doubt going to be some coaching turnover. I don't know who or when or what, but I happens every year all over across the country so that's going to be we've got a lot to get into still um the regular season's over there will be no bull game successful year and we've enjoyed the heck out of being able to be here with you guys throughout here on the rock game nation podcast aaron anything else that you want to add for us today my man um one quick football note one quick football note i forgot we missed a tackle this entire year that pressed 
um, Zeke Powell into playing. Hiron White. For, does anybody remember him? He's supposed yeah. to be back. I forgot and, about and that. I did too. And I was looking through the roster and I just noticed, I was like, oh my goodness, here's this huge tackle with all this experience who missed all of last year. Um, that makes that me feel a lot okay. That line could be okay. Yeah. Makes me feel a lot different. Um, so that that's on the football side. But on, on the personal side, you know, I'm just uh, appreciative of everybody uh, who, who listens and, and who reads us at Rock M and appreciate them uh, giving us the clicks, the views, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, I'm looking forward to spring ball, and I hope everybody else is too. If you would be so kind as to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, if you listen to it over on iTunes, that helps us out a ton. If you got a question for us, for Aaron, Nate, myself, feel free to throw those on there in the comment section, and we'll be sure to make sure that we get to those as well, especially during the offseason. We're going to need some questions to be able to get some of this content going. So if you've got any, feel free to put those in there on the comment section of this podcast for sure. For Aaron, I'm Brandon. Thank you guys so very much for listening today. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. We wish you guys... A happy new year, happy holidays throughout this holiday season as well. That's all we've got for you this time. We will try to do better next time. Until then, M-I-Z. See you